Hi, good morning. Welcome to Arendelle Bible Chapel. Whether you're here in person or joining in online, we're so glad for the opportunity to be able to minister to you, and, and we're eager to seek the Lord together in this service. Just before we get going, I want to just bring to your attention a few announcements. Of course, as you probably already know, uh, we have moved, as of today, we've moved to two services, and uh, we'll, we'll do this for the time being meeting at 9 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. And everyone is welcome to attend in, in person, but you need to register ahead of time. And you can do that online through our website at arendale.org. And uh, just follow the instructions there and to get registered and to come to church. Uh, there are guidelines that are posted also on our website. And uh, we ask you to please be familiar with those and to adhere to them those that apply both indoors and outdoors as well while you're attending Arendelle Bible Chapel. Uh, just be mindful of those those uh, protocols, please. This week at EBC, we got to, on Tuesday night, the youth are meeting at 645 here. Pastor Nick will be uh, looking for you on Tuesday uh, for those who are in grade 6 to grade 12. Of course, you also will be following the guidelines uh, that are set out for you, and, and that's all in the newsletter if you need to brush up on that, or you can contact Pastor Nick here at the church. Wednesday night on Zoom at 7.30 is our prayer meeting, and uh, we'd love for you to join into that. Also, ESL classes have resumed online. You can register for those on our website, arendale.org, and uh, there's more information in the newsletter or by contacting the office. And I've mentioned it already a couple of times, the newsletter please do be sure to read that newsletter. We try to uh, keep you up to date through it, let you know what's going on. Again, as we often say, if you're not receiving that, please let us know because um, if you don't tell us you're not getting it, we don't know you're not getting it. And uh, we want you to get it, okay? So let us know. You can contact us through the website, arendale.org um, or uh, email us here at the church office at arendale.org. Today, at the uh, conclusion of our service, we're going to resume our habit of partaking of the Lord's Supper on the last Sunday of each month. So uh, we'll look forward to doing that today at the conclusion of our service. But now, without any further ado, I just want to turn things over to our worship director, Mazen, who's going to lead us in worship of our Lord through music. Amen. Well, so glad to have you guys with us this morning at our first ever 9 a.m. service. So I would just invite you all to stand at, and as we worship the Lord this morning. Holy name, sing. 
Oh, praise the name of the Lord. 
because you are worthy. And we thank you for that sacrifice on the cross, Lord. Because that should have been us, Jesus. But you gave your son, and we are so grateful, Lord. That is why we worship you this morning, Lord. That is why we fix our hearts on you this morning, Jesus. Soften our hearts today, Lord. Let us hear from you, Lord. And let us cling to you, Jesus. We give this time to you right now. We just pray for you to have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, uh, loved ones. Great to see your masked, smiling faces, I think, underneath there. Wonderful, wonderful to be together. And uh, thank you so much, Brother Mazin, for uh, leading us in um, those songs of worship. And we'll look forward to your ministry again in a little while. Well, I got a question for you, and it's this. Have you ever heard somebody ask this question? What's the worst that could happen? Ever heard anybody say that? What's the worst that could happen? Now, usually when you hear that, it's uh, someone trying to talk somebody else into doing something that they're anxious about, right? 
Like, oh, come on, come on, it'll be a good time. You know, you'll have a good... What's the worst that could happen? And, uh, well, sometimes, you know, the, it's, uh, the mind gets going and you think, well, there's, there's lots of bad things that can happen. But the assurance, of course, underneath the question is nothing's going to happen. What's the worst that could happen? Reminds me of a story a friend of mine told me about um, uh, uh, trying to encourage somebody who was very anxious about doing this particular activity to do it. The activity was parasailing. I don't know how many of you have ever parasailed or if you even know what it is, but it basically what happens is you go out in the lake and there's a motorboat and uh, the, the person who's going to parasail dons a parachute and uh, the, the motorboat pulls you around the, the lake and the chute get, gathers air and it lifts you up way, way up high in the air and you kind of float around out there behind the boat and you get to see all, the, all the, the scenery and everything like that. Well, if you're like me, you can imagine why somebody would be anxious about that. That sounds like a scary uh, sort of activity. Um, but the, this person, I think, sort of wanted to do it but having a hard time getting up the nerve. And so this friend of mine who was trying to encourage him to do it said, listen, listen, all that's going to happen is you're just going to go up in the air, you're going to float around, you're going to see things, and then you're going to come floating back down to the water. And besides, underneath you the whole time is water. What's the worst that could happen? So dude gets on the parachute, gets behind the boat, and goes up, and wouldn't you know, the mechanism that connected the parachute cord to the boat malfunctioned. And the guy became separated from the boat. And not only that, the wind took his parachute and drifted him away from the lake over into the forest. And he came down and ended up in the forest, snagged, dangling from a tree in the forest, swaying like this. And I'm sure for every minute of the hour or two he hung there in the forest, he heard that question again and again, what's the worst that could happen? Well, I'm happy to report that the fire department came and got him down, and I'm pro he probably never parasailed again. But, of course, the moral of the story is that sometimes we've got good reason to be anxious, don't we? In fact, some, you know, it's true that sometimes our fears are never realized, but sometimes they're quite justified. In fact, sometimes it turns out worse than we ever thought that it would. Our, our fears are surpassed by how bad it is. And of course, the reality, loved ones, is that as you and I look around in our world today, right now, we have lots of reasons to be anxious. Let's just be honest. Our world has much, uh, much volatility. There's social instability. There's health vulnerability. We feel that. There is a financial insecurity, and there's many, many uncertainties about what is to come, what's going to happen, how long will this season of life persist. There's lots around us that can make us anxious or fearful about the future. And of course, it's not just what's around us in the world, but what we experience, many of us close to home, is cause for angst as well. Some of you are, are trying to deal with and help uh, uh, aging, maybe ailing parents. Some are, have real anxiety about the direction that their kids are going. Uh, some are, are experiencing marital tension, and the list goes on and on. We've got lots to be anxious about. If you're asking what's the worst that could happen, we could probably make a list of terrible eventualities. And it's possible that if you're living on planet Earth right now and hearing my voice, that you've got some anxieties. And, uh, and they're real. And they're, honestly, they're understandable. But here's the thing. 
God doesn't want His children to be anxious. He doesn't want us to be fearful about the future. In fact, the Bible tells us that God not only doesn't want us to be anxious, He wants us to experience peace. He wants us to experience His peace. That's not a tranquil indifference to life's problems, nor is it some kind of escape from reality. No, the the peace of God is the assurance and confidence that we have in Him when we know that He is God and He is good and He is faithful. And it gives to us a kind of peace that our Scripture passage tells us today passes, surpasses understanding. When we have the peace with God, when we have the peace of God that He wants us to have, we find that we can experience calm in the chaos, we can experience peace in the storm, and we can find a measure of relief from our many anxieties. Sounds good, doesn't it? Who wants some of that? Well, the million-dollar question is, how do you get it? How do, you get, how do I get me some of that? How can we, can we ever experience that? And if we can, how do we exactly get that? Well, our scripture passage today is going to tell us exactly how. How it is that we can experience peace in uh, this world. We can find relief from, anxi- from our anxieties and, uh, and experience the abiding peace of God. Our scripture text is from the book of Philippians, chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7. And I'm just starting this morning a little, a little mini two-part series on overcoming anxiety. I just feel that there's lots of anxieties. I know some of these anxieties too. I'm living on planet Earth too and dealing with, with uh, the what's the worst that could happen scenarios around me and, and just like you are. And as I was thinking about this, before we sort of launch into a, a longer fall series, um, I, I just want to take just this Sunday and next Sunday to talk about anxiety, overcoming anxiety. Because our, our passage in Philippians 4 gives us some practical God-given instruction on how to, how to confront our anxieties and how to overcome them and even experience, in so doing, a measure of peace, peace with God, or peace from God, I should say. Now, to be anxious, of course, is, is generally speaking, it's a kind of fear about the future, about what will happen or what might happen or what might not happen, what people will do or won't do, what people will say or won't say. It's, it's generally speaking, it's a feeling of unease. And depending on the level of anxieties you feel, you, you might feel like unease doesn't really cut it. But probably we can agree that if we're trying to, uh, uh, if we're trying to be clear on what we're talking about, I think a feeling of unease is probably uh, catches all the corners of the issue. And it can range from a sense of nervousness to all-out panic. When Paul wrote to the Philippian church, uh, they had plenty to be anxious about. They were experiencing external opposition. There were those who were against them and what they were doing as Christians and their gospel witness. Not only did they have stuff to be anxious about outside of the church, they had reasons to be anxious about what was going on inside the church because there was internal dissension. There was fighting. And, and in fact, earlier in this chapter from our te- that we will be reading today, we read about that Paul talks about two people in particular who were really at odds with each other. And there was work to be done to help them to reconcile. So there's, there is reasons to be anxious around them. There is reason to be anxious from within the church. And of course, not only was there uh, external opposition and internal dissension, there was also doctrinal heresy outside and inside the church that Christians were, 
we're, we're going to have to sort out and to get clear on. And you can imagine that there's, there'd be anxieties about these things that people would have. And on top of all that, they had the same kind of problems you and I have in terms of stresses and concerns about family and friends and the circumstances of life. They had, they had worries. Oh, and one other thing they had to be worried about, I almost forgot, the author of this letter, their beloved, the apostle, the beloved apostle Paul, was in prison. And they're stressed about that. And of course, Paul had reasons to be worried too. Have I got you worried too yet? Got you, do you feel some of the stress they might be feeling? Some of the anxiousness? They had plenty to be anxious about. Paul did too. But he told them, he told them about a God-given way to confront our anxieties and even overcome them. And he tells us about that in Philippians 4, and I'm going to read from verses 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You can hear Paul anticipating the objections. Rejoice in the Lord always. Oh yeah, but rejoice. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. Remember, there's some internal conflict going on. Let your gentleness be known. you got a reputation for maybe a little bit of discord. Now, let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Now, notice what he says, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. And you notice what Paul doesn't say. The next line in your Bible, does anybody's Bible say what's the worst that could happen? Anybody's translation, has, none of the translators rendered it that way? Good, because that's not what he says. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Well, what good's that going to do? Ever had somebody say, you should pray about that? And then you don't say it out loud because it doesn't sound very spiritual, but you thought, you thought it. You should pray about that. What good's that going to do? Paul tells us, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, from what I can see in verses 6 and 7, there's, there's three, three things being said. First of all, Paul identifies that there is a problem to overcome, namely anxiety, worry, fear about the future anxiousness. There's a problem to overcome, anxiety. Secondly, there is a plan for overcoming the problem, or there's a strategy. What's the strategy? What's the plan? What, what are we to do? He says we are to, we are to what? We're to pray. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Third, there's a result you can anticipate. What can we anticipate? What's the, the result, the outcome we can anticipate when we pray in the face of our problem? He says that we can experience peace. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. So those are the three parts, okay? Those, now let me just walk through these one at a time, and we'll just sort of unpack here. What does Paul mean? First of all, there's a problem to overcome. And the exhortation here is, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, we can see, because we read the text, 
that in Paul's thinking, the uh, anxiety is an absence of the peace of God. So we, we said, you I mean, sort of dictionary definition, we could describe it as a, as a, a feeling of unease about, uh, about your circumstances and what may come or what may not come. But we see here in the text when Paul puts the theological legs underneath this, we see that anxiety is an absence of peace, of the peace of God. Uh, the absence of, of contentment that comes from Him, of the confidence that we find in Him, of the comfort that comes from knowing Jesus and being a child of God and knowing that our God is good and faithful and able all the time. The exhortation is that whatever the situation, whatever is looming ahead, whatever uh, fear it is you're facing, uh, do not allow yourself to persist in worry. Do not, he says, verse 6, be anxious about anything. Now, there's two clarifications that are, that, that are worth making here. First of all, not all anxieties are bad. Okay, not all anxieties are bad. It's interesting to note that Paul uses the same, the word there that's rendered anxious in our, in our passage that I think does mean worry. Um, it's interesting that it's, that same word is also rendered in a in different context in not a negative sense at all. For example, earlier in Philippians in chapter 2, Paul used the same word that's rendered in our text, anxious, uh, to speak positively, positively of Timothy. He didn't say that Timothy was an anxious person, but he said earlier that Timothy had concern for others. And sometimes we could say that if if what your anxiety is, is a concern for other people in your life, well, that's not a bad thing. There's a sense in which sometimes anxieties can be very fitting. There's a sense in which it's, it's not wrong to be anxious about the godly growth of our children. It's not, it's not wrong to have a kind of concern and care for people in your life. In fact, there would be something wrong if you didn't have cares for them. Uh, sometimes, sometimes being anxious uh, can keep you out of a lot of trouble, can't it? You know, some, sometimes you realize it's complete foolishness to parasail. Why would I parasail when I could stand on the ground and not be caught up in a tree and have to be rescued by the fire department? It, sometimes your anxiousness can keep you from falling. You see, what, what we've got to realize, I think, and I think David Paulison put it well, he said, anxieties serve us in the, just like your, your check engine light does in your car. When that check engine light comes on, it often doesn't tell you what the problem is, but it does caution you that there may indeed be a problem. Now, sometimes you go to the garage and you find out it's just the dumb light malfunctioning, and that's okay, you get that fixed. But sometimes you find there really was an issue to deal with. And our anxieties can positively serve us well, when there's reason for caution and when we ought to have concern for people. So not all anxieties are bad. But the second clarification that I want to make for you is this, is that the anxieties that we need to deal with are those that consume our thoughts. Like they come and they, they take over our minds and they put us into a kind of mental anguish where Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. I'm not rejoicing because of the dark heavy cloud that I'm under, my mind, I just can't get them off the concerns that I have or the worries or the fears that I have. Uh, the anxieties we need to deal with are those that sap our joy, that take away our joy, and the emotional weight robs us of the joy we ought to be having in Jesus, knowing that He's on the throne. 
the anxieties we need to deal with are the ones that sometimes cause us friction and fighting with other with others. When you're weighted down with anxiety, don't you find sometimes that your fuse gets really, really, really short? So little annoyances that others bring along that maybe you would be able to tolerate or to laugh off, you just turn into like, like Mr. Hyde or is it Dr. Jekyll? Which was the bad one? You turn into someone really nasty, really fast. That then, you got, then you need to deal with those anxieties. The, the anxieties we need to deal with are those that keep us from doing what God calls us to do. When I'm not serving in the joy of the Lord, when I'm not doing the things that are before me, like caring for my family and loving my spouse and doing the, the work that God's given me to glorify Him, those are anxieties that we need to address, that we need to deal with. So you see, we're not saying that, that all anxieties are bad, but we are saying that anxieties can be bad. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And we need to deal with them. He says, be anxious, be worried, be fearful about the future over no, in no situation. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, if that was the sermon this morning, that's all we said. Do not be anxious about anything. You would not feel very helped, would you? You just, in fact, you'd probably be anxious about being anxious. Right, right now, I'm blowing it in life, and I got no way out. It's wonderful about the Lord that He He never leaves us, never leaves us without the help we need. And this text is no exception. Paul says, "Do not be anxious about anything," but then he tells us how to confront our anxieties. He gives us a plan for overcoming the problem. What's the plan? It's prayer. So make a note of this. We deal with our anxieties by taking them to God in prayer. We deal with our anxieties. We deal with our fears about the future. The uncertainty that we feel. The unease we feel because of all the instability that's around us. All the uncertainty. All the very understandable fears that we have. And even those that we can't put our finger on. Why am I so anxious? Whatever the situation, Paul says we deal with our anxieties by taking them to God in prayer. In everything, he says, in every circumstance. I think that's significant because some of you beat yourselves up because you're sure that while it's a big deal to you, you're sure that others would just see it as silly or small. You think about praying about it and you feel kind of foolish. You feel like, well, I don't know, I, I shouldn't even be anxious, I don't think. Paul doesn't qualify it and say, you know, unless, of course, you feel it's a silly anxiety, does he? He says, no, he says the opposite. He says, in everything. So even if you think, surely, if you told it to somebody else, they'd say, well, that's silly. Paul's not interested whether somebody else thinks it's silly or not. If you're anxious about it, take it to the Lord. That's what he says. Some of you feel guilty because you've been told repeatedly in your life that it's a sin to worry. And that stresses you out because you're like, great, now I'm sinning and I can't get over it. I think you should probably, for this morning's purposes, lay aside the mantra that you've heard that it's a sin to worry and to go to God with your worries, which is what he tells you to do. Don't be torn up about whether you think it's right or whether it's wrong. Paul says, in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your request, make known your request to God. Some of you feel ashamed because you know that the root of your anxieties, or some of them, is because of bad decisions you made and your own foolishness. 
and there's a part of you in your flesh, and, and the devil gets in there and tries to discourage you. There's a part of you, you feel, you feel so ashamed that you, you can't even hardly bring, your, bring yourself to lift your eyes to heaven, let alone to tell him about your anxieties. May I remind you, loved one, of the last phrase in, <clears throat> in our text, the end of verse 7, he talks about being in Christ Jesus. And that's key. That is very key for you when you've, when, you, when you've blown it and you know it. Because in Christ Jesus, we find a remedy for your fallenness and for your sin. We find the forgiveness of sins. And when we look to Jesus, we find that we have a God who is willing and able to forgive us because Christ has paid the penalty. We find a God who is indeed the God of second chances and third chances and 99th chances and, and how, whatever kind of chance that you're on. He is a God of grace and goodness, not because, not because you're a goody two-shoes, but because of Jesus. And Jesus bore the wrath of God in your stead to bring you to God. So, loved ones, as your, the flesh and the devil may conspire to discourage you from in, in thinking that this doesn't apply to you, Paul is adamant this applies to you if you're, if you're anxious. He says, in everything, in every circumstance, in every situation where you feel anxious and have anxieties, he says, we need to, by prayer, in other words, talking to God by prayer. So talking to God uh, quietly in your mind, I think a, a great way when you're really at war, I think a great way to pray is out loud. Pray out loud. One, you, you, don't, you tend not to drift off when you're praying out loud, right? If you notice when you're praying and quietly in your head, sometimes you go from deep, moving, spirit-filled prayer to your grocery list to that ticking noise that you hear when you're praying, and what is that? To the dust on the blinds, and all of a sudden, wait a minute, I was having a Jesus moment here, and now I'm dusting the blinds. Have you noticed that happened? So a great, what do you do? I think a great way to counter that is to pray out loud. Talk to God. He says, by prayer, we pray quietly. We can pray out loud. We can pray anywhere we are, whether it's on the train or in the car or in the washroom or in the kitchen. We pray wherever we are. We can pray at night. We can pray in the morning. We can pray at noon. We can pray on our break. We can pray long prayers. We can pray short prayers. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, talking to God by prayer and what's that next word? Supplication. Not supper, right? Sounds like, sounds like something tasty when you hear supplication. No, it's nothing to do with eating anything. It's it's asking. Supplication is, some of your Bibles I think will say petition, by prayer and petition. It's asking. It's requesting. It's, Lord, I have a need. I have a fear. I have concerns. I have feelings that are oppressive. And you bring it to the Lord and you ask Him for relief. You ask Him for the provision. You ask Him for the breakthrough. You ask Him for peace. You make your request known to him. Let me ask you, dear anxious brother, sister, what is it you need? You say, Ross, I don't know what I need. Then tell him that. Lord, I have needs that I can't even name. I, I can't even get my mind to focus on what exactly where this is coming. Tell him that. Present your request to him. Make them known to him. Of course, he knows what they are, but he calls on us to speak them to him. And notice the attitude we're to have as we pray. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. I think Paul is indicating here there's, there's a tone to our asking. 
and it's a grateful tone. It's a tone that acknowledges that, you know what, it's an attitude of, I'm not deserving, but God is good, and I come to you in the name of, on the, uh, on the basis of Jesus and what He's done for me and who I am in Him. I'm your child, Lord. And with thanksgiving, when we're thankful to God, we're remembering the times when He has answered our prayers. We're, we're disciplining ourselves to, to, uh, to recall how God has heard us in the past. And that gives us faith that He'll hear us again. He's shown us goodness. So you see the plan here? The plan is, is that we deal with our anxieties uh, by making our requests known to God, by taking our anxieties to God in prayer, asking with a grateful attitude. And, and so as we do that, then what's the result going to be? What's the result we can anticipate? Well, Paul says in verse 7 that we can anticipate the peace of God. Did you see that? He says, and so after making those requests to God, he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the result that we can anticipate. By bringing our anxieties to God, we experience the peace of God. Say, what is the peace of God again? It is the confidence that we have and the contentment that we experience when we know that we belong to Him, that He is good, that He's able, that He's faithful. It's the peace that comes from knowing that God is God and I am His. And so no matter what comes my way, I can, in a Christian sense, say, what is the worst that could happen? Would God still be God? In Christ, will I still be His child? Will He still love me? Will He still be with me? Do I still have a purpose? Do I still have a promised future? I do. Doesn't mean the problem goes away. Doesn't mean the problem's fixed. <clears throat> Doesn't mean it'll go smoothly. Remember, Paul's writing from prison. That wasn't in his missionary plan as he drafted up the plans. It was part of God's plan. And in the midst of God's plan that Paul didn't really plan for, he found peace. And he's calling on the Philippians to experience that too, not by emptying their minds of their troubles, but by pouring out their troubles before an almighty God. And he says that when we do that, by bringing our anxieties to God, we experience the peace of God. Now, here's where I find is the challenge. And the challenge is this. As I have to ask myself, Ross, have I learned, have I learned to go to God, not just for solutions, but for solace? Have, Ross, have I learned to God, have I learned to go to God, not just for answers, but for assurance. Ross, have I learned to go to God uh, not just to have my problems solved, but to experience His peace, His comfort in the midst of all the chaos? Have I learned that? Or is this a season, is this an occasion in which God wants me to grow in that? See, the peace of God comes not from having all of your problems go away, 
but it comes from knowing that I'm his child, he is my God, and I am secure in him. Nothing comes my way outside of his good, gracious, wise permission. And whatever comes my way, there is nothing that can ever separate me from him. By bringing our anxieties to God, we experience the peace of God. I've got to bring my anxieties to him, though. See, there's an action for me to take. There's a plan for me to pursue here. Now, notice three qualities about this peace of God. He says that, the, he says that when we bring our requests to God, what we're anxious about, he says the peace of God... Uh, will be ours, but he says three things about it. He says, it surpasses all understanding, it guards, our, it guards our hearts, and it guards our minds. Notice it says it guards our hearts. He says, uh, it will guard our hearts and our minds. It guards our hearts. Now, your heart is your feelings, right? Your heart is the location of your affections and your joys, your feelings. Uh, remember in John 14, verse 1, Jesus said, let not your what be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. So he's talking about that feeling that we have of overwhelming, even train-stopping anxiety that we sometimes feel. And so he anticipated that his disciples would, would at times feel anxious, especially when they were about to go through. Jesus said this on the night before he died. Imagine the anxieties that the, those disciples would go through over the next 72-plus hours of all that would happen with the death, burial, and then resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Sometimes when we are overcome by anxiety, we dismay, don't we? We, just, we, we dismay of, of all hope sometimes. We feel sometimes incredibly weak inside. We feel discouraged. Sometimes we come really angry because, well, we can become angry at other people for causing it. Sometimes we become angry with God for allowing it. We get troubled hearts. We become angry. Sometimes we become, we become bitter because of the exhausting experience of persisting anxiety. Sometimes we become doubtful about God's goodness and become distant from Him. Isn't it strangely, sadly, tragically ironic that sometimes in our worst anxieties, we pull back from God sometimes, don't we? There's a temptation in our heart to drift from Him and to isolate from the fellowship of others who are given to help us through seasons like this. That's, that's, but here's what happens when the, the peace of God counters that. It guards our hearts. It guards our hearts from becoming angry and bitter and doubtful and distant. The peace of God guards our hearts. It puts like a guard on our, the door of our heart to keep us from those temptations. It also guards our minds. He says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Anxiety is an excruciating mental experience. Because in some cases, you're wrestling to figure out why it is you feel this way. You're, you're processing so much in your mind. And sometimes, in our day-to-day -day anxieties, we spend so much mental energy trying to find a way out of it, don't we? Trying to find a, 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 a solution to the problem. We think it through and we rehearse in our minds and we wrestle with it. It rolls over and over and over in our minds trying to find a way through, a way out, a way around. The temptation sometimes is that, is that as we get thinking about it, we come up with in our minds unfaithful, even sinful ways of dealing with our situation. 
Like maybe our mind can, in our minds we conclude, you know, the way out of this is to, to just lie. Just lie. Ever been tempted just to lie your way through? It'd be a whole lot easier if I just didn't tell the truth here. Or to steal. Or to cheat. Or to slander somebody. I know how to shut that person up. I think I start a little rumor about them. Put them on their heels. See how they like to toss and turn at night. We want to be malicious sometimes, or, um, or, or maybe uh, uh, exact revenge. But the peace of God puts a guard on our minds to keep us from acting unfaithfully and sinfully under the pressure. It's a peace of solace and comfort that guards our hearts, that guards our minds. And the overarching quality of the peace of God is that it surpasses understanding. I think in part we could say that um, what the, the peace that God gives us surpasses anything that we can come up with on our own. But probably more likely what Paul is saying here is that it is a peace that is hard to explain given the situation that you're in. Hard to explain outside of knowing an almighty God through Christ. It's like a peace that for the world doesn't make any sense. It's a peace that, that before, you, before you found the solace and comfort of God, you didn't think was possible. People will ask you, how can you be so calm in a time like this? And your part answer is, I'm not sure I am as calm as I appear. But if I do appear calm, it's because I have a God who's holding me. And I'm counting on Him. It surpasses understanding. I've told you before that just outside of my hometown in Peterborough, Ontario, about 15, 20 minutes outside of town, you go down a certain highway and then you turn off down a, a lonely country road and then you turn onto another really lonely country road and you drive just, just a little ways along and you'll come to a, just a little tiny little cemetery. And in the cemetery, there's just a few very old tombstones and, and uh, it's, well, it's well marked if you can find it. When you get there, it's well marked. If you don't know where it is, you, you may not find it, but... Uh, you, you have to search the internet. You go out there, and, and uh, when you go into that cemetery, there's a monument there. There's a burial place for a man named Joseph Scriven. And Joseph Scriven, if you're wondering who he is, he was a hymn writer. And if you're still saying, so who cares? What difference does that make? He wrote a hymn that you've probably heard before if you spend any time in church. And the hymn that he's most famous for writing is, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And it, that's inscribed on his, in the cemetery there just outside of my hometown. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. See, what Paul is calling us to do here is to stop bearing your burdens on your own. But give them to the Lord. Who do you think is better able to handle what is crushing you? You or the Lord? And if you think it's you, it's like Dr. Phil would say, how's that working for you? Scriven says, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Now, I don't know for sure, but I think that Joseph Scriven knew this text. Then he says this, oh, what grace we often forfeit. Now, what, if you forfeit something, what are you doing? You're giving up, right? You're playing a game and you forfeit. What do you, it means you quit. I'm I'm done. Scriven says, oh, what grace we often forfeit, that we often miss out on. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry 
everything to God in prayer. So loved one, what, do you, what are you anxious about today? Maybe it is sickness, about getting sick. That's a real concern. After all these months, it's still a real concern. In fact, it's obviously it's some, a concern that some aren't concerned enough about. You talk about a, a positive kind of anxiety, we do need to be cautious and careful. But some are crippled and oppressed by that fear. Maybe it is of sickness. Maybe it's for your kids. I mean, when, at whatever stage of life you're in, when are you not concerned for your kids? Maybe it's about your parents, your grandkids. Maybe it's about money. Lots of people are concerned about money, and understandably so. We live in very uncertain times. Maybe it's politics. Politics at home and politics outside of our home. You're torn up about it and anxious. Maybe it's just the, the persisting restrictions that we are dealing with that are getting you down. Maybe you've got an interview coming up. Maybe for the students in the room, maybe you've got an exam coming up, a test. Or there's, there's uh, some kids at school that cause you stress and worry. You've got to deal with. Maybe you've just been laid off or you're the room around work is that you're going to be laid off. What's, what is making you anxious today? And what does Paul say to do with that anxiety? By bringing our anxieties to God, we experience the peace of God. So bring it to Him in prayer. And we got some friends of ours that are very precious to us who've got reason to be anxious. Their little boy this coming Wednesday is going in for open heart surgery. And you want to talk about being understanding how it's understandable how there be anxiety and worry and fear about what's to come. I don't think there's any of us here that can't imagine that the kind of stress and strain that that little family would be under today as the day approaches. So what do they do about it? Well, I don't know if they were thinking about this text, but they're sure modeling this text beautifully. They take the social media, which is what you do now. <laughs> they take the social media and they ask people to do what? To pray. And you know what one of their dear friends has done for them? They've created a group, a prayer group, and asked people to sign up to pray for them throughout the whole day from morning to night while, while the, the little boy is going to be at the hospital at Sick Kids in Toronto uh, having a surgery done. Now, here are some people who recognize that there are anxieties that we've got to deal with, and they have faith to believe that by applying God's Word that there is peace to be found when you do. See, they are, they are experiencing and are going to experience this week that what it is that happens when we bring our anxieties to God, the peace of God. Does it mean that everything's guaranteed to go well? That we don't have those kinds of guarantees. But we do have an assurance of peace from God when we seek Him and when we bring our burdens to Him. There's a problem to overcome, isn't it? And many of you know it today. Anxiety. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. There's a plan for overcoming that anxiety. And what is it? Well, we deal with our anxieties by bringing them to God in prayer. And there's a result that we can anticipate. And the anticipated result is that as we bring these anxieties to prayer to, to God in the hours, in the days, in the weeks, in the months that we persist in this practice, we will more and more experience, Paul says, the Word of God says, we will more and more experience His peace as we cast our cares upon Him. 
Now, at this point in the message, you can feel, you sense that, okay, he's bringing it to a conclusion there. We're getting near the end. And some of you are right now really frustrated with me. Because you quietly say to yourself, you'd said to pray about it, you've said to pray about it, you're not the first person to tell me to pray about it, and I'm telling you that it doesn't work. I've prayed, and I haven't experienced this peace that you're talking about. Well, I'm going to just say two things to you. One, there is more to be said about overcoming anxiety and we're going to look at that next week because Paul's not quite done yet. He talks in verse 7 about the peace of God that comes to us when we pray. He mentions in verse 9 the God of peace who's with us. Paul's got some more to say about overcoming anxiety, and we're going to see that next week. But I also say this second thing in closing. If you're frustrated because you say, I prayed and it didn't work, I want to just ask you honestly and humbly, because I I think I can relate, have you really prayed? Like, have you really prayed? I don't mean a passing prayer. I don't mean just prayed once. I mean, have you prayed? And not just about the problem, but how you feel about the problem. And the roots of that, as it becomes apparent, what other things that you're dealing with? Have you specifically prayed? Have you enlisted a prayer partner to pray with you? I wonder if you might consider that this week. If you're frustrated hearing this, pray, and you experience the peace of God, and you're frustrated. I wonder, have you prayed? Here's just a little practical exercise I'll leave you with. Little practical exercise. I get this again from David Paulison. If you're really wrestling with this, I want you to take a, a piece of paper. It can be a great big piece of paper. I don't Find something to write on. I want you to draw two circles. You're going to draw a small circle, and you're going to draw a really, really big circle. On this page, I want you to write down every single thing that you can think of that you're anxious about. And if you say, I don't know, I've got that free-floating anxiety, then put that down. Put it all down there. But as you put it down, I want you to organize, and it may help to do this in two steps. It may help to put all your anxieties down. Then the next thing I want you to do is to take all of your anxieties and put them in those circles. You say, well, what goes in what circle? The small circle is going to be the things that you can do something about. Maybe it's make an apology. Maybe it's I can study for that test. Maybe it's I can talk to somebody, get some coaching ahead of that interview. Maybe it's I can take a course. Maybe it's I can look at my budget and see how I'm managing my money. What are some things that you can do? And then all the other things goes in the bigger circle. You say, well, what's the bigger circle for? Those are all the things you're going to put at the feet of Jesus. And you're going to say, Lord, these are the things that I can do nothing about. I am powerless to deal with any of these things. And so I bring them to you. And I ask you, please, to give me the peace that comes from you as I pray. Will you do that? Let me pray. Father, as we think through the reality of anxieties, we recognize that this is an area in which many of us struggle. Some of us, we struggle immensely. I pray for your abundant grace for your church. I think particularly of the saints at Arendelle Bible Chapel, whether they're here 
with me in the room right now, whether they're watching online. I pray, Lord, in our church for a real experience of your peace as we pray, as we talk to you about our anxieties, Lord. Lord, give us grace not merely to come to you for answers, but for assurance. Give us grace, Lord, to not merely come to you for solutions, but for solace. Lord, what we need is we don't need all of our problems fixed. We just need to know that you're with us and that you love us and that you're able and you're faithful and you're good. Lord, what we need is this peace that surpasses all understanding. Would you give us grace to put in action what you tell us to here, Lord, to pray, to talk to you about it? And would you give us faith to believe? And would you, by the work of your Spirit, in the way that only you can give to us something, some measure of this peace that we're reading about in your Word? Because we need it, Lord, and we want it. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the last Sunday of the month, and we have committed together to resume our habit of partaking of communion. At the, on the last Sunday of, of each month, we've been reading a passage that concludes with those words, in Christ Jesus, and for, this, for those who love and know Jesus, that's where you are. You are in Him. You have union with Jesus. And what that means, well, it means a lot of things, but one thing it means for sure is that He brings us to God. We've been talking about the, the, peace, the peace of God that we experience um, when we pray. But of course, the Bible reminds us that the whole basis for the peace of God is the peace we have with God. And that is a peace whereby Jesus has removed the barrier, He's removed the hostility between us and the Lord, and He brings us to God. He removed the barrier of sin, and He did so through His death on the cross. And now, every privilege we enjoy, including the privilege of prayer, the privilege of experiencing His peace, the privilege of His presence, the the privilege of, of the filling of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling and the filling of the Holy Spirit, all of these things, and we could go on and on, we, we experience because of what Christ has done for us. He died on the cross for our sins to remove the barrier. He brings us to God and he lives, and we live with him. And so what we're going to do together is we're going to worship him in a particular way that he prescribed. On the night before he died, you recall that he took the bread and he broke it, and he said, take, eat. This is my body. This is my body given for you. He uh, held the cup, and he said, this is the blood of, this is the, the cup of the new covenant in my blood. They're symbols of our salvation. And a reminder uh, today of where it is we stand, who we are and where we stand. We're children of God, and we stand forgiven and welcome in His presence because of Jesus. We have great reason to worship Him, don't we? So I'd like, if you would, if you'd take your emblems. And uh, the, uh, the top layer there has the bread. If you take it, I'm just going to, before we eat it, I'm just going to have a word of prayer and thanksgiving, and then we'll partake of this together. Lord, we thank you for a tangible reminder, for a means that you have sanctified for us to not only remember what you've done for us, but to remember now today together who you are for us. 
and the life that we have in you because of your death and resurrection. Thank you, Jesus. We partake of this now in worship and thanksgiving before you. Amen. Let's eat together. Now, if you would, uh, open the, the cup that contains the juice. It is a little tricky to get open without spilling. There we go. And as we, uh, before we drink of this, let's again just bow in prayer. We marvel again today, Lord Jesus the words of the Apostle John that tells us that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. We thank you, Lord, for your cleansing power and for this gospel and for this reminder. Lord, we worship you as we drink of this cup together. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Russ. Um, I would invite you all to stand if you are able as we continue to worship the Lord. Since curse has lost it. 
Father who is full of love and mercy and grace. And while we are here on earth, Lord, we just stand next to you and we hold on to you, Jesus. We say that we need you, God. We cast our anxieties on you, Lord. We cast our burdens on you, Lord. Because you are able to handle them, Lord. And we need you, Lord. You are our strength, Jesus. Jesus' name.